So thanks so much, Jake. Welcome to the show. I'm really glad that you've joined me today. We're coming at the subject of careers from a slightly different angle, because normally I interview people who've made a big career change to inspire the people to follow suit. But we've met a couple of times now, and I really love chatting to you because I can geek out about career stuff all day, every day. And What's fascinating about chatting to you is that you come at the career topic from a completely different angle than I do. Obviously, I'm looking at people who are disillusioned in their career, who've sort of maybe hit midlife and go, oh, what am, what, what am I doing with my life? I, I want to do something more meaningful. Whereas you're working with people who are fresh out of school, fresh out of college, who are about to embark on this exciting journey well, what I think is an exciting journey, and I know you do, but uh, perhaps uh, we're unique in that respect. So can we just jump straight in and start talking about, you know, what is it like for somebody that's just left school or just left college and they're ready to embark on this career journey? What is it like for people nowadays? What are the challenges? Yeah, so for, I suppose for the last two years or so, I've done a lot of school speaking about the step before people choose university or apprenticeship. Um, you know, I see a lot of people speaking about choose uni or choose apprenticeship, but the step before is actually, you know, what kind of stuff am I interested in? You know, the route then becomes almost inconsequential if you know roughly where, yeah. you, where you're going. Um, but now my work is really around helping businesses to engage with young people and, and understand how to connect with them in mm -hmm. careers. Um, and what I'm seeing from the young people I'm working with um, the young people I sort of reach with my work, I suppose, is a kind of disengagement with careers. Um, we're seeing 30%, roughly 30% of Generation Z. So that's my age all the way down to like, I don't know, 15 year olds. Do you want to clarify what your age is, Jake? Yeah, I'm 26. You look, okay, 26. So 26 to... Uh, um... <laughs> you, you look like a 26 year old. Hey, Yay. <laughs> so 26 to 15, like did 15, you say? Yeah. So okay. Generation Z, um, mm -hmm. just starting in the workforce or just about to enter the workforce. But only 30% of them are engaged in their careers. And okay. what that means is you've got 70% that are either not that bothered or actively disengaged at the companies they work for. They, they don't want those companies to succeed. And I find that incredibly bizarre because it is a, exciting journey is difficult it's difficult when you start your career um but we're seeing a lot of things that sort of factor into this um one of them that i see actually is this pressure on young people to do anything you want mm -hmm. that sort of freedom mm -hmm. you know structure whilst it can seem quite rigid and force us into places we don't want to go it gives us something to grow off of you know like a vine up a side of a wall you've got structure and you can grow how you want but when you say you can do anything you want that's quite scary for a young person that has no experience of the workplace and only knows about 10 different careers. Um, so that's one thing. Quite overwhelming then, isn't it? Yeah, if you can do yeah, absolutely anything. Mm. Yeah, if I, if I tell you you can do anything, that puts a lot of pressure onto you to say, like, well, why aren't you doing anything? Yeah. Um, and you also see the pressure of social media that comes with that as well. On Instagram, I have direct connection to like 100 million people that are doing lots of different things yeah. um, that are, you know, traveling the world or have successful businesses while they're still in their teens um, or get to, you know, put on shows in front of millions of people. That just sort of adds to that pressure of, oh, you know, my, my family tell us I can do anything. My school is saying I can do anything. That, that adds to that pressure and anxiety that we're seeing in a lot of young people now. It's kind of ironic, isn't it, that if you're saying to somebody you have all this choice, you can do anything you like, that that is then leading to disengagement. 
Yeah. Is it just because it is this overwhelm and they are they feeling like whatever they do, they're missing out on what they actually should be doing? Or what is it? Yeah. So there's one good uh, example I use, which is that, do you remember the last time you had a weekend where you had like nothing on? Like yeah, no. Where you're like, <laughs> I've okay, got two kids, so no. Okay, so you don't remember that. Um, Okay, so if you've got listeners that do remember that, that maybe, you know, that the kids are away doing stuff and you've just got mm-hmm. a day to yourself, you can do anything. The feeling that keeps cropping up on your mind is like, I'm not taking advantage of this, you know? Oh, it's, oh, it's already two o'clock and I haven't done anything today. You know, oh, it's six o'clock, I'm going to be, you know, getting dinner ready and, oh, I've not done anything with the day. Oh, I've wasted the yeah. weekend. That feeling, even though you could have done anything, you actually end up doing less because you're constantly feeling like, oh, I should be doing this or I could have done that. Um, rather than just doing stuff when you, you've got a bit of structure in your day when you've you know roughly what you're doing and you've got less time to try stuff you're more likely to say oh I'm going to go out of my way to do this yeah. um, which ends up leading to you to have a bit more fun you know that a certain amount of time is sort of blocked out you've got a bit more time to uh, actually allocate and do stuff and I'm seeing that with young people as well because they can do anything they're not doing as much as young people that maybe have a bit more structure or certainly conversations I have with people that are a bit older in their 30s and 40s that have tried out more stuff just because they had to, because they had to get a part-time job and they've realised they actually want to work with people um, or that they had to you know, work in a call centre while they were studying at university and then realise that they want to work in IT. Um, these kind of things that provide you just a little bit of structure, a bit of framework to get started, and then you grow in your own way. And I suppose that gives people an insight into what they do and don't enjoy as well, doesn't it? Young people that I've spoken to think that they should be in their dream career the the second they step out of education and into a job. And I think it is trial and error and it's, it's a journey. It's not something that you just arrive at from day one. And, you know, I've seen people that don't ever arrive there. They're on a constant journey and I've seen people that arrive there when they're 65 do you think it as the older generation we need to be better at I guess positioning what a career should look like for younger people like how do we set a good example yeah it's a, it's a really good question because like I mentioned with the the um, statement of you can do anything it comes from a place of love I know that yeah. all parents you know want their children to do what they love um, and I'm fully for that Um, But because it doesn't provide enough structure, it almost leads to this, what you're saying as young people saying, well, I can do it. I can do anything I want. So when I leave school, I want to have this career that I really dream of. Um, And chances are your first job, maybe your first couple of jobs aren't going to be that. It is that I've tried this. I thought I'd like that, but it's not actually what I want to do. Or or I want to do this. I need to get more training, more more specialization. Um, So one thing parents can do more of is rather than asking that question, what do you want to do when you leave school? What are you going to do after college? Is talk more about the skills. What skills do you like using when you're in college? Um, and then sort of focus on those soft skills. That can then lead to different careers in different industries, but it gives you at least a little bit of framework to say, you know, I've really enjoyed the times where I work in a team. Okay, so you're, if your dream career is something solo, maybe you're going to miss that. Um, if you really like the projects that you work on where your lecturer or your teacher is able to provide you a bit of support, shows to me that having a mentor, a boss that's a good leader for you, a good mentor, is going to be far more important in your career, especially in the early years. Yeah. So once you understand those things, those soft skills that all young people have and all young people get to use in some way, 
and you you learn them a lot younger as well rather than expecting to be a data analyst when you're you know in your 20s and 30s saying that you're naturally quite good on a computer when you're eight years old like that's a lot easier to take that skill there um, yeah. but using those soft skills gives a lot more freedom for young people but something to build on if they know okay i'm good with people i could work in any industry with that i could have any job but at least i know where i'm where i'm starting from i'm really keen to talk to you about this thing of uh, being really good at something because <laughs> i'm sure you've experienced this as well that being good at something doesn't necessarily mean that you enjoy it and you should be using that skill day in day out and in fact i've spoken to many many people who are really miserable in their jobs doing what actually they're really good at they're really good at maths or they're really good at you know whatever um which has taken them down a certain career route but actually they feel feel completely drained by doing whatever it is that they're that they've been told they should be doing you know either somebody else has told them or they they have told themselves say like, this is something i'm good at so i should you know should be doing this for me it's really about finding the activities that you're not only good at but that just bring you alive that make you feel energized and engaged um and to me it's partly working that out for yourself but there's something really special about somebody else in your life or several people in your life that notice something about you that's quite special what's your take on that with regards to young people yeah so I suppose the the biggest context maybe listeners need to know about me is that the work I do now is very different than what I started doing you know when I left school because I had no idea what I wanted to do I was unemployed for about a year um my first jobs were as a waiter and then door-to-door sales and you know working in a call center um and I quickly rose up the ranks because I was quite good with people um you know this sort of customer service sales stuff that I, I ended up sort of specializing in and I got to the point where in my early 20s, I mean, like I said, I'm 26 now. In my early 20s, I knew that that wasn't what I wanted to do. You know, I don't like the idea of just doing that, but I didn't know what was. Yeah. Um, the one thing that I was actually quite good at, I didn't enjoy using, and I certainly didn't want to do it for a, a long period of my career. But what was that? that? That sort of like customer service, like working okay. with people, dealing with people, mm-hmm. um, even people that were not interested. Like that's one thing that I just, I don't know, I seem to be quite good at. Um, but that yeah, wasn't what inspired me. It wasn't what I enjoyed. And the progression route that was sort of laid out for me in sales and that sort of thing didn't didn't appeal to me. But because I hadn't had much experience doing anything else, I, I didn't know what else I'd rather do. It was only until my boss at the time said that, you know, I, I could be a potential supervisor of the department that I got that sort of feeling that, oh, okay, that that sounds more like it, the idea of working with people to help them do the things that I'm quite good at. Um, that appealed to me more. And then I started getting the opportunity to do some speaking within this organization as well, like presentations. And that appealed to me more as well, the idea of you know, help more people to do the things that I'm good at, that I understand. And that's what I moved away to do. After I left the sort of customer service and sales industry, I started trying lots of the things I wanted to do from you know, potentially for a career and just sharing that with friends and like youth clubs and schools so this was actually whilst I was still working full-time I designed a board game I learned how to make an app I coached a football team I managed an esports team just all these things that I was just kind of like maybe that's what I want to do for my career maybe that's my dream job and, and was I- somebody encouraging you along the way or is this were you just doing this off your own back 
Yeah, it was off my own back, really. I mean, I think I put a lot of pressure on myself. Um, so to, to give a bit more clarity, I moved from one job where I was supervisor to one where I was running a team, but that was maternity cover. So I knew I was there for nine months. And then the pressure I put on myself was rather than saying, like, I can do anything. It's like the end of nine months, this contract comes to an end. And I either have to find another job just like this I don't enjoy, or I have to have some clarity on, like, where I'm going. And then I think this was just a, a natural progression on that was like, well, if I don't have any experience, if I don't have a uni degree that's any use, which I don't, um, how am I going to specialise? How am I going to know whether I need to specialise in another, another industry? How do I know whether I have to go to university and study, you know, programming? Um, I, and I'm not just going to get up and do that one day. I have to have something behind me, some proof that I'm good at it, I enjoy it, and I, I want to do it. Um, so, yeah, that was just a process of, okay, well, I like board games, let's make one. I like video games, let's learn how to create one. You know, I use apps every day. Are they simple to make? Are they difficult to make? And yeah, you learn a lot as a result. And that became something I, I started sharing with other people, which led me into career speaking and then, you know, specializing into engaging young people, something that, I don't know, I seem to be quite good at. But one of the things that we've spoken about quite a lot is that there are many things I'm a five out of 10 out of, like five out of 10 at like video creation, editing, administration, all of this stuff. And those actually provide a lot of job rotation for me, the things I can try to do differently. And I know I'm not going to be the best at, but I can't afford to bring someone else in yet. So you just sort of try out different things. And rather than becoming a very specialized person that only does the thing you're a 10 out of 10 at, you try lots of different things that give you a different perspective. Um, you mentioned at the start that, you know, I've got a different perspective on the careers industry. Well, that's only because I'm a five out of 10 at TikTok. That's only because I'm a you know, five out of 10 at working with young people or that I'm a five out of 10 in graphic design. That gives me a different perspective on something that, you know, is sort of the industry I work in now. And I think those things become really interesting and fun when you take, you know, someone that's a five out of 10 at photography and a five out of 10 out of maths, and then they've, they're a 10 out of 10 at speaking. What does that lead to in their career? Well, how exciting, how enriching would that be rather than just being a 10 out of 10 in one thing? Yeah. Um, so I encourage everyone, build up the skill set to be a five out of 10 in lots of things and, and see how that influences the thing you're a 10 at. I think that's the true definition of a polymath, isn't it? Mm. To try out lots of different things and become sort of a, what is it? A jack of all trades, a master yeah. of none. Uh, yeah, but, a renaissance um, man. <laughs> yes, but I think I think you're absolutely right. I think there is merit in at least trying all these different things. And it sounds like you have this curiosity in you and this desire to learn new things and you're totally open to new opportunities and new learning new skills for somebody that has been listening to you and is thinking god that sounds absolutely exhausting i don't want to spend my life trying different things and learning new things i've only got a certain amount of hours in the day and trying different things like just sounds like the worst thing to me by the way that sounds awesome and i'm the same i love learning new stuff i'm like totally intrigued by how everything works <laughs> But to somebody that is thinking that just sounds exhausting, what would your advice be? Yeah. So lucky for me, I've shared this advice to many 14-year-olds and they've said the exact same thing, which is like, it sounds good, but like, I'm just not going to do it. And <laughs> one of the At least they're I'm being done, honest, right? Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I appreciate the candor, but yeah. you know, I'd, I'd, I'd rather them tell me they're actually going to do it. Um, but what I do, 
So this is my own personal thing that I do. And I've shared this with young people and they it works for them as well. Mm-hmm. I've got a book yep. where I put all of my ideas. If mm-hmm. I have an idea for something that might be kind of fun, like, mm-hmm. oh, I could learn to play tennis. Like maybe I'd be good at tennis. It goes in the book. And then in the book, I have to write the quickest, cheapest, easiest way I could do that thing. And it might not be to the level I expect. It might not be, okay, I'm playing at Wimbledon um, because I'm just starting. But the quickest, cheapest, easiest way you can do the thing that you're kind of interested in doing. So for me, as someone that's loved playing video games all my life, the idea of making a video game, I was like, that sounds kind of cool, but it seems quite expensive, quite difficult and quite long. So the quickest, cheapest, easiest way for me was go on YouTube, loads of tutorials, there's free software, and then just make a copy of something that I already play. Mm-hmm. A game where you walk around a forest collecting batteries to run your torch while you're chased by ghosts. Like, that, <laughs> that was it. That's what I made. Um, it looks awful. The noises are quite strange because I recorded them in the, into the mic. Um, but I made something. And but as a result, I got a skill, you know, writing code. Uh, I got a skill, you know, doing 3D modeling. Um, so all of these things, the quickest, cheapest, easiest way is like your, your first step into action. What I hear from so many young people is like, oh, I want to be a professional footballer, but they're not playing in the football team at school. Or I want to be a professional dancer, but I'm not going to auditions. Um, to make is it lack first... of confidence to an extent? Yeah, I think it's lack of confidence. I think there's also this sort of self-efficacy that isn't built in, which is like, I can do things just because like I have the idea to um the sort of belief that like oh in order to do that I'd need the qualification I'd need loads of money behind me and I think that's one of the things that isn't built it's not built readily in young people especially Mm. when you know through no fault of their own a lot of the stuff that they get in their lives is very easy and straightforward give you an example like if you want a new computer keyboard it will arrive next day yeah if you want to get food it will arrive in 30 minutes if you want to know what's on the cinema, like you can find out instantly. Even, you know, if you want to go on a date, you just start swiping and like that can kind of happen. And that's something that's very new to this generation. Previous mm-hmm. generations didn't have to do that. If you want to go on a date, you have to really awkwardly ask the person you like, you know, if you want to hang out or something. So if those you want things- to learn about anything, you have to go to the library, find an encyclopedia. <laughs> Precisely. Yeah. So those things get easier. And whilst that... Yeah creates a like a generation that's got more access and can you know save lots of time they're not building this muscle of if i want something i can do it i can create it i can build it so we need to just like lower that barrier sometimes artificially but sometimes by just saying what is the quickest cheapest easiest way you could do that if your dream is to play in a champions league final i cannot guarantee you'll do that at the start of your career but i know that the quickest cheapest easiest way you can get close to that is by playing at your local football team, trying to make it into the first team. Like that's going to be difficult. And that is your yeah. first like big milestone. Yeah. That a lot of people don't seem to start. I agree. I mean to sound preachy at all um, or patronizing or, or like I know it all and I have all the answers by any means. But what I, what I do see quite a lot um, is that parents, they, they want their kids to have a good, easy life. Um, because they love them it's totally normal and um, and they spoon feed their kids whatever they want and need and again it comes from a place of love right and I love my kids obviously I want the best for them but I think that sometimes we have they have to learn by doing stuff so I'll give you a really stupid example but my daughter the other day wanted this perfume 
that costs what I think is a lot of money. And she stood outside the shop and gave me the puppy eyes and made me feel very guilty about the fact that I wasn't buying it for her. But I think if I buy it for her, just because she says she wants this perfume, I'm not teaching her a very good lesson. I said to her, I don't mind you buying that with your own money, even though I don't like it. <laughs> like it's your money at the end of the day. It's up to you what you want to spend it on. But you, if you don't have that money today, then you need to find a way to earn it and then you can buy it. And and she, in the moment, thought I was the worst parent in the world. But I'm hoping that in the long term, I've taught her that just because you want something right now doesn't mean you should get it. And actually the satisfaction of working towards something, finding a way to make that money, and then going into that shop and buying it with the money that you've earned is 1,000 times more satisfying than your mum just buying it for you you know, on a whim because you gave her the puppy eyes. And I, this is the bit where I don't want to get preachy because everybody should raise their kids however they see best. But I think we're doing our children massive disjustice by just giving them whatever they want, whenever they want. And I do see that quite a lot at the moment. And I do yeah. worry about what message that is sending children and how they react when they're in the real world and they don't get what they want immediately. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you a good example of that. It's not something I've ever shared on a podcast, actually. Um, but when I was 19 and just got like my first like actual paycheck, I decided that I was quite insecure and wanted to buy a really nice car. Um, and so I looked for these cars. That I was like, I went to see one with my dad and I was like, yep, yeah, that's the car I want. Could you like, negotiate with the, the guy? Because like he'd been speaking to him. He, like My dad knows a lot more about cars. And for a significant amount of money that I want to spend on this car, like obviously I want to get the best price you know if I can save 100 quid or 500 quid or a thousand pounds like that's that's a lot that's worth a lot and my dad I remember I really didn't didn't like him for ages after doing this but he told me that I should negotiate with the guy and I was like but you're you're better than negotiating you know about cars you'll be able to like save loads of money like you you wouldn't want your son losing 500 pounds just because he's not a good negotiator and I could negotiate with the guy uh, I got a price that I was happy for, but maybe it was a bit more than I wanted to spend. Um, and I look back on that now very fondly because in my day-to-day -day life, I negotiate for things that cost lots of money. Um, and if I didn't have that negotiation skill, if I wasn't put out of my comfort zone, you know, would I would I even have my own business? Would I even be able to you know deal with these large figures and negotiate thinking of lots of different things at the same time? Yeah. And that's just an example of like in the moment, it's going to feel a bit rough. I mean, yeah. anytime you go out of your comfort zone in the moment, it feels a bit yeah. rough. The first time you do an onstage presentation in front of like 10 people, it feels a bit rough. Um, but you're not going to know one, if you're good at it or two, if you have the capacity to become better yeah. until you start doing it. I think yeah. that's one thing that parents like, you know, I'd encourage them to give it a try is just for one thing. If there's a, a skill set that you can see someone building, maybe it's a negotiation. If they want to, you know, speak to a market trader about you know, getting some clothes or something, you just say, no, you, you go and negotiate with them. Um, if it's ordering a takeaway that they want, say, no, you, you pick up the phone and you, you order it if yeah. you want it or yeah. do it online or whatever, but on yeah. the phone's better, people yeah. skills. Um, yeah. Those things that in the moment, they're going to look at you like your daughter did and be like, why are you doing this? You're, you're my mom, you're my dad, what's going on? But in the future, it's going to either start to build that skill little by little build that self-efficacy of I, yeah I could do that I was scared about ringing the you know takeaway people up for a for a takeaway but I did it 
I was scared of negotiating with that guy for lots of money, but I did it. You're building that skill in young people that is that takes them throughout their career. That takes them on a very um, meaningful journey across lots of different skills. I agree. And it, and it helps to build that self-esteem, that self-confidence that, hey, I, I can do difficult things and I can come out the other end and I can be alive and I can thrive on it. Mm-hmm. At the moment, I do notice a lot of young people who even struggle to make eye contact when they're talking to an adult. And uh, yeah, I worry about that sometimes, how that's going to play out when they're adults and they're they're in the in the real world, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So we'll see, watch this space. I suppose lockdown didn't help things. Did you see that there was, did we sort of take a step backwards with regards to young people and, you know, I guess they weren't able to socialize and have those sort of normal interactions that you and I would have had as teenagers? Yeah, I agree. I feel like COVID to a large extent has been used as, I want to say an excuse for why things aren't getting better or why they've got worse. But I think COVID also escalated what we're going to see in the next 20 years, which is that apps are replacing a lot of the face-to-face interaction we need. Um, where you used to be able to you know, phone someone up or have a face-to-face conversation, you do it virtually. Even things like this call, for example, like just me getting used to looking into the camera and not looking at your face. <laughs> like it's uh, it, COVID was an escalation of what I expect to see for the next 20 or 30 years, which is that a lot of the soft skills that we're used to using or had to use while we were growing up um, aren't required. They aren't necessary. I think COVID was just an escalation of what's going to happen over the next 20 years. And Mm. I don't think our systems, I don't think individually, I don't think organizations are prepared for that. So if we look out, you know, 20 years in the future, we know that, for example, AI is going to be able to do a lot of the stuff that takes up our time in the day. And whilst we could train young people to be really good at Microsoft Excel and, you know, spreadsheets and stuff like that, why not train them to have those soft skills that are going to be really useful for the whole career, like leadership or like problem solving or empathy, all of those things I know are going to be useful for the next, you know, 30, 40 years, well, hundreds of years, but AI is going to be able to take over a lot of those, I suppose, practical hard skills that we might think we have to focus on earlier, but actually they're not, they're not quite as required long-term. With regards to, we've talked about how parents can support uh, their kids going into the workforce. What about schools? What's the education system? Is it geared up to help young people find careers that they, A, really enjoy, B, really good at, C, earn them a good living so that they can have a comfortable life? Yeah, it's it's difficult. At the moment, I'm seeing the the gap I suppose the disparity growing I think some schools are really really good at it um there's what's called the Gatsby benchmarks which are your rough sort of if you do this do this do this you've got a good careers provision and schools are sort of aiming for those but what you want to avoid is this sort of tick box exercise of oh yeah we we said we can do it we can do it I'm still having conversations with lots of young people that said they've never spoken to a careers advisor you know, which sort of is a bit surprising, these people that can guide you on your journey. Um, and we're also seeing the careers education sort of industry, if you like, having quite difficult talent pipeline problems. It's not a very visible career, even though every young person will be able to tell you a teacher is a job, mm-hmm. a careers leader or like a careers practitioner, a careers advisor, even though they work in schools as well and should be equally visible, they're not, it's not as easily understood. The other challenge is that for schools, you know, you've got to, think about what they're measured on and what they've got to work with every year there's 
the, the sort of pressure on teachers, not only with what they're expected to do, but what they have to do for the school and for the, um, I suppose, league table, stuff like that. And one of those things for universities is, are students getting employed? That's what they're yeah. measured on. Are students yeah. getting jobs? So it's not really in your best interest to make sure a student, you know, takes a year out of work or is unemployed for a year, like me, for example, and then finds work that they love. You'd much rather than just get something. Yeah. I think this is good and bad. It's good because it gives you some structure. You get to find out if what you're doing is actually what you like. But it's bad because it sort of avoids that exploration that might not be done in term, uh, in the workplace. You know, that year off or just taking some time to like look after family, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, in schools, I think my view, which is naturally cynical like I am for myself, is it's not good enough. Not good enough yet. Especially for a country like ours, which, you know, I, I wouldn't be chastised for saying this should be one of the best education countries in the world. Um, we should offer the best careers advice in the world. We should be up yeah. there, certainly. And whilst I see, you know, a couple of people really pushing that forward, raising the bar, I think there's a lot that's sort of lagging behind, especially yeah. when you think of how fast industry moves. The, the well, this is it. I mean, things are changing so quickly, aren't they, that probably you know by the time my children for example get to the workforce they'll be potentially doing jobs that you and I can't even dream about right now because things will have evolved so much even in the next 10 years or so so it's quite interesting isn't it and how do you keep abreast of what sort of jobs are available but I mean even you know even if the school invited a parent to come and talk to their students once a week about their job you know it might just it might be that somebody in the audience it just completely captures their imagination and inspires them to follow in their footsteps you know and I think probably just amongst the parents there'd be people with amazing jobs a couple of interesting statistics I've got on that actually which is that for everyone and well I say everyone based on someone under the age of 11 one percent of young people under the age of 11 are inspired by someone a volunteer that comes into a school and says this is my job um for some people, that's like a really positive thing. It's like, wow, 1%. Um, but you can also look at the other things, which are like TV, film, radio, which is podcasts, I guess, mm-hmm. um, and YouTube a comp- like make up for 50% of aspirations for young people that don't know anyone that does the job they want to do. So yeah. in total, you're looking at about 30 40% of all young people under the age of 11 inspired by what they're seeing digitally. So whilst you know we can get parents to go into schools, one of the things that I'm a big advocate of is create more digital content about your careers, your job. You know, if engineers aren't visible on YouTube and social media and on Netflix, how are you going to know that's what you want to do? Yeah. For careers like criminology, there's loads of TV shows. Like it's quite easy for people to see that and be like, yeah, that feels cool. I want to do that. Mm. For careers like YouTuber or influencer, it's really easy to see that and say, they're someone I like I I laugh at them I want to be like them there's no data analysts that are creating you know content (laughs) daily on TikTok and there's no agricultural engineers that are doing this stuff and that's like a big I think that's generally something to worry about so that these people have fun careers that they enjoy they get to use similar skills as other careers but just because they're not digitally visible Mm. kind of missing out actually someone tagged me in something about future jobs which is, again, that the idea of future jobs for young people isn't exciting. It's actually quite scary, you know, that you're, the job you're doing in 10 years doesn't exist yet. You'd be quite scared by that. In the same way that, you know, if you told 18-year-old Yazim that 
you know, you would be doing a podcast. You go, what, what, what on earth is a podcast? What even is that? Yeah. Um, but the, the things you had when you were 18 were the same skills you use now. You know, you're curious about different people in their lives. You work well with people, able to work on your own as well and like sort of drive yourself. These things. So I think when we focus on that, and that's one thing I'd love your listeners to be able to do going forward, is focus more on the skills rather than what do you want to do when you leave college, leave school is okay. what skills do you like using? Why do you like that? Why okay. is this your favorite subject? Um, yeah. And you'll find out so much more that's going to be useful in your career than simply, you know, pointing a dot at one career that you might like to have for some amount of time. Totally. And I think I think it's Ken Robinson. I'm sure you're familiar with his work, but he's, uh, he's sadly passed away now, but he was such a big advocate for really discovering things in children that lights them up that they're naturally really good at and just focusing on that and and not worrying too much if they're not getting good scores in their maths or their English or their geography or whatever it might be I think traditionally we've been very focused on fixing people's weaknesses oh you're really crap at maths I'll get you a maths tutor so that you can be better at maths when actually you're a bloody genius at xyz my my cousin's son he's only eight or nine and he's a genius at uh like plumbing like if the plumber comes over to fix something he's asking the plumber like every question under the sun about what he's doing and he doesn't want the simple answer he wants the detailed like don't give me the i'm talking to a nine-year-old answer give me the i'm talking to another adult who knows about plumbing answer like he wants to know the nitty-gritty and to me, that is super exciting. I'm like, well, this is this is amazing. You need to foster that. You need to embrace it. Get him to love everything about, you know, like he loves taking stuff apart and putting it back together. And and I think if we can see those things in kids and encourage it and love them for it, I think that's really cool because then that makes them feel good about themselves because the opposite would be that you say well okay you might be good at plumbing but actually you're really bad at reading come on you need to read you haven't read your you know 10,000 words or whatever you should be reading and that's what kills that creativity it kills that spark that we have in us i'm a big fan of just finding stuff that lights people up and putting a blowtorch under it and and I think that's how we discover geniuses yeah it's, it's like a weird middle ground because like I said I know that I'm a five out of ten in lots of things but that's helped me go from like a nine to ten in the stuff that I do now and I think in the same way like if you can see a world where you know being a three out of ten in reading helps you become like a ten out of ten plumber maybe there's that world I, I don't know but actually what if you have is a broader experience of other stuff that you're like kind of good at on one thing that's like excellent um i always find it interesting to think of if you're in the top 10 percent of something which genuinely i think five out of ten is because most people suck um but if you're in the top 10 percent of three things and you combine them together you're in the top 0.1 percent rather than trying to be the top 0.1 percent uh, plumber mm-hmm. like that's difficult it's possible but it's difficult if you become top 10 percent plumber and you're top 10 percent at business and you're top 10 percent at dealing with people like there you go that's it that can be what what an awesome combo if you could look at a crystal ball and see yourself in 20 years time what skills do you wish that you will be using then Mm. I think it's it's very similar ones that I'm using now to be honest I really enjoy this kind of coaching 
leading role that I'm doing now with businesses to help them better engage with young people. You know, for me, the, the art of actually engaging with young people, it's kind of limited. I can only do so much a day. But if more people had that skill, parents, teachers, leaders had that skill of engaging young people with careers, I think the world would look incredible in the future. And then digitally, I, I want to really focus on that and understand that that's the biggest influencing factor of young people's aspirations. So if I were to, you know, stay in place at schools, you know, just aiming at like the 1% of young people that I might be able to inspire, that's limited as well. So just following my nose on digital, let's focus in on creating video content and I suppose audio content, but also content that looks fun, that looks interesting. I'm seeing a big disparity at the moment between stuff that's educational and stuff that is fun to watch. Why is there nothing that's in the middle, especially for careers? So those are the skills that I want to really hone in on. I haven't really thought 20 years ahead. That, that, that scares me quite a lot as well. It'll be there before you know it. I know. <laughs> yeah. I still think I'm 27 mm. and um, clearly not. <laughs> but what's wonderful about you is that when you do look back on your career in 20 years time, 30 years time, whenever it might be, I think there's very little doubt in my mind that you will have had an absolutely fascinating time along the way, no matter what happens. Because I think just due to the fact that you're so open to anything happening, to new opportunities, to following what's exciting to you, I think we'll 100% guarantee that you'll always be doing something interesting. Even if it's something that doesn't light your fire in that particular moment, you'll still have a story to tell and it will be a stepping stone to then the next thing. And I'm really excited to see where you're going to end up, to be honest. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. And, and again, that's one of the things that for me is still quite new. You know, when I was 18, 19, I was unemployed. I had no yeah. idea what I wanted to do. Worked in a kitchen. I remember when I was at my very first job, my boss was a 15 year old. Um, like that, I was just like, oh, okay, I'm, you know, I'm not happy here. So all of those things like come with time and that exploration and there really is no no linear progression just because you start a bit lower doesn't mean you can't you can't you know, get to a place that you really enjoy in your career yeah well it's been so fascinating to talk to you and actually if anybody's listening and they're thinking gosh I wish that they'd discuss this why didn't Yesham ask Jake about this because you know I've got a son or a daughter that's about to get into the workforce and uh, I'd really love to know the answer to this. I, I want to know more about how to support my child. Um, or somebody's listening and they're, they are about to enter the workforce themselves and have got a burning question. I mean, they can either contact you or me directly. All the details will be in the show notes. But if there's enough questions, maybe there's a follow-up to this conversation. Yeah, if, if there's enough questions, we can book out a theatre like you know Simon Sinek and Steve Bartlett do and... Uh... Yes. It's at a reasonable rate for early birds. I think we should do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you and to pick your brains. And as always, it's really, really fascinating to chat to you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. See you soon. If you know someone who would enjoy this podcast, do share it with them and subscribe now so you never miss an episode.